Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 28th program in this series. In this program, I'm going to be finishing up chapter 6, John chapter 6. To begin with, though, I'd like to start in verse 49, just to kind of review a little bit about the end of the previous program. What was going on was that the people had approached Jesus after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Many of the people who were fed with that miracle, they followed Jesus over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee into Capernaum, and they confronted him. They confronted him because they wanted more bread, more food. That's what they wanted. And he had the ability to provide them with that, as he illustrated through the miracle that he performed on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the people had the attitude that just as the children of Israel were set free from slavery in Egypt and God provided them bread from heaven, that they expected that the Messiah would do the same for them. That was the correlation that they were making. If Jesus was going to invoke a new covenant, just as through Moses God invoked the old covenant, if a new covenant is going to go into effect, there was an expectation that there would be similar miracles. Some of the people had this kind of expectation. In verse 49, this is John chapter 6, verse 49, Jesus responds to them, and he says, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. They are no longer alive. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give For the life of the world. Jesus uses their expectations. He uses their request to provide them with some more bread. He uses this request in order to explain to them the gospel, to tell them that what he is there for is to provide them with life. And in this case, what he's really talking about is the restoration of life that was lost in Adam, the restoration of the Holy Spirit to dwell within humanity and to make people spiritually alive so that when they physically die, they will continue to be alive and have a place in the kingdom of heaven. In that sense, Those who ate from the previous bread certainly are dead, but those who will eat of the bread with reference to the giving of the Holy Spirit through the Messiah, those people will live and they will live forever. And the way that Jesus explains this is he proceeds to explain this in a way that will be so offensive to people who are not interested in what he has to offer. 
if a person is not really interested in what he has to offer, they will be so offended by his symbolic explanation. And that's what this is, to talk about his flesh and his blood and to eat that. He's not talking about literally eating his flesh or drinking his blood literally. That's not what he's referring to. He's using these words in order to describe something else symbolically. But if the people have no interest in the something else, then they are not going to comprehend what he is saying. And so the words that they are going to hear will have a different meaning to them because they have no interest in the true meaning. And as a result, the people have to make a decision. This is the decision. The decision is, are they really just going to look to Jesus for the fulfillment of the desires of their flesh, or are they going to look to Jesus for what he is there to give? It's going to be one or the other. Jesus will not provide them with more bread like he did when he fed the 5,000. He's not going to do it again, not at this time. He will do the miracle later. That's not the issue. The issue is for these specific people that he is having a conversation with. They have approached him because they are hungry, and he is going to turn them away hungry. They are going to leave without any bread and without any fish this time. That's what's going to happen. And so the people will have to decide, are they going to continue to follow him for what he does have to offer, or are they going to turn away? And this is important. It is very important because the people were about to seize him and make him king by force. This is not the way that he came to establish himself as the king for the people in the region of Galilee to seize him and force him to be king and force him to solve all of their problems of life to include making sure that they have plenty of food to eat. That is not what he is going to do. And so the confrontation takes place right here in Capernaum. And the resolution of this right now is critical because if Jesus fails, if Jesus fails and the people seize him and make him king, they just decide you are now the king. You are our prisoner and you will make decisions and you will do miracles of God. If that's what happens, then that is going to be a disruption to everything that Jesus is there to accomplish. And so through this moment, Through this conversation and through the aggressive words that Jesus chooses to use, the people will walk away. And when they walk away, he will be free to continue to minister in the region of Galilee. Again, he will be free to continue to minister in the region of Galilee without the threat of the people seizing him and making him king because he said some things that were so offensive that the people who were only interested in Jesus providing for their flesh, they walked away. And he needed them to walk away in order to continue to do what he was going to do through the rest of his ministry. And so continuing again in verse 52, this is John chapter 6, verse 52. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. These are some very aggressive words towards these people. They have to really decide: Is Jesus speaking literally or symbolically? If he is speaking symbolically, then we have to decide: Are we going to accept what he has to offer, or are we going to walk away because he's not going to give us more bread to eat? If he's speaking literally, then he definitely. Is considered to be a crazy person, and we have to walk away because we don't want to have anything to do with him at all. Jesus is not able to bridge the gap between himself and people who are not willing to receive what he has to offer. He is not able to bridge the gap between people who are determined to tell him what he is going to do when he is there to do something else. And so, because he is unable to bridge the gap between these people, it is necessary for him to make the gap as wide as possible. And that is exactly what he accomplished. Continuing in verse fifty-seven, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Again, referring to their interest, which was to receive bread like their forefathers received the manna from heaven. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He repeats this again. They are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, in verse sixty, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, "This is a hard saying. Who can understand it?" When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, "Does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life; the flesh profits nothing." The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said, "Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him." By my Father, and what he means by that in verse sixty-five is that the Father has established the criteria, the criteria by which a person may go to the Father and may go to Jesus, and the criteria is that you need to want what He has to offer. That's the criteria. He draws people according to the truth, according to that which is real, according to what. His desire is according to what he will accomplish, according to the inheritance that he is going to provide his children as a result of his death. Again, in verse sixty-five, and he said, "Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father." And he does this collectively by offering himself 
by making an offer concerning what he has available, it is granted to anyone who is willing to receive it. Those who are not willing to receive what he is offering, he cannot grant anything to them. In verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Verse 66, many of his disciples went back and they walked with him no more because of these things that he said. And this is good because those who remained, for the most part, those who remained were there for the right reasons, with a couple of exceptions, of course. But the people who remained were there because of what Jesus was genuinely offering what he was there to accomplish. He was able to work with people who could be real with him, who could be honest with him, who could be a participant of the work that he is doing. And the rest of them, as far as God is concerned, everyone else can just go home, can go somewhere else, can just go away. That is the conviction of God. You either take him for who he is and for what he has to offer, or go away. In verse 67, Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. And there's a lot to say about Judas and why he betrayed him, how he betrayed him. I spoke about this in the verse-by-verse study that I did on the trial of Jesus. And so I'd like to refer you to those programs when it comes to the issues raised in verses 70 and 71 here at the end of John chapter 6. But with reference to everything else, it's important to recognize that at this point in the ministry of the Lord Jesus... He solved the problem of the people of Galilee preparing to capture him and force him to be king when he was not willing to be king using that method. He solved this problem by these aggressive words that he used with reference to his flesh and his blood. Now, today we have similar things. We have similar issues today. People turn to God today because they have an interest in God blessing their flesh. This is not unusual. When a person experiences a significant change in life, for example, or they come across difficult times in their life, they find themselves in circumstances where they are really struggling. It's not unusual for a person to turn to God with hope that God will intervene in their lives and provide them things for their flesh to help them work through and solve some of the problems that they have found themselves dealing with. The prosperity movement within Christianity is very popular because a lot of people want to prosper and they want divine intervention in their lives and so that they can have more than what they would be able to acquire themselves. 
People will genuinely seek divine intervention when they cannot do any more for themselves than they are already doing, or perhaps they are unwilling to do more for themselves when they can, and they certainly don't mind asking God to make up the difference for where they fall short or for where they believe they should be at in their lives. Regardless of the reasons why people decide to pursue God with hope that he may intervene in their lives and bless their flesh. Regardless of why they are seeking God for the blessings of their flesh, the good news is is that they are at least seeking him. This is good. And I want to make that clear, that it is good for people to look towards God for something, even if it is not what he is going to do, even if it is not what he is going to offer, it is still good. And so if you are pursuing something from God, if you are pursuing a relationship with him that he is not willing to have with you, it is still good for you to do this because at least you are turning towards him. At least you are considering him. At least you are in the direction You are in a good direction. At least you are thinking about the reality of God. What will happen, though, eventually, what is going to happen is that you are going to discover that he is not going to bless you in the way that you want. Eventually, this is going to happen. At some point in your life, you're going to realize that you are not getting what you thought you would get from God, that he is not delivering on what you thought He would deliver on. And when this happens, when this moment in your life finally arrives, or for some of you, you have already experienced this moment in your life, when this moment comes, it is then time. That is the time for you to really make a decision. Do you want to have a relationship with God that is real and true? that is based on the reality of who he is? Do you want to be a participant in what he is doing in this world? Do you want to have a relationship with him personally? Do you want to have a relationship, the kind of relationship, that he is willing to offer? Are you willing to accept who he is and what he is willing to offer? When you are confronted with this question, then you will make a decision and you will either go away or you will begin to pursue him for legitimate, honest and real reasons, which is better, which is which is great, because it is then you should be asking yourself the question, well, what is the gospel? What is the good news? Who is my God? How does he feel about this or that? What does he think about this or that? What is he doing? What has he accomplished and what does he intend to accomplish in the future? Is there a place for me in the life of God? Does he have a place for me, for me to be a participant in his life? Those are the kinds of questions that a person genuinely needs to consider, to ask and to seek answers for. And if this is what it takes... It takes the pursuit of the blessings of the flesh to get a person to this point to consider God for who he is and for what he genuinely has to offer, then so be it. So be it. If it works, it works. And if it doesn't, 
God doesn't lose anything. If a person turns away from him because they didn't get what they thought that they would get from God, if they turn away from him, he doesn't lose anything because they were never going to embrace him to begin with. And so he draws people to himself. He will drag people to himself. He will grant everyone an opportunity to know him. But only those who genuinely want to know him will be the ones who will turn to him on the basis of reality. And when we do, he will receive us all. Now, another point that I would like to make concerning what we see here in John chapter 6, especially the end here, is that the disciples had a hard time with a lot of the things that he said. They did not understand the magnitude of the gospel. They had a poor understanding of what Jesus was talking about when he used the word life throughout this section. Review again John chapter 6 and Pay special attention to every mention that Jesus provides concerning life and living. Pay close attention to those phrases and ask him to share with you the depth of the meaning of that word and what he is trying to say to these people and the fact that they didn't understand the magnitude of what he was talking about. If you were to proceed and look into the book of Acts, and there is a verse-by-verse study that I have done on the book of Acts, you will see that it took quite a while before the people understood the magnitude of what Jesus accomplished. It took them a while before they realized what the gospel genuinely meant. It was Acts chapter 11 before the church recognized that a Gentile could be saved without first becoming a Jew. The disciples had a long way to go. They did. They had a long way to go. And they could have turned back. They could have turned away from Jesus at this time also. But they recognized some basic fundamental truths. Peter said to him, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. All right, They know that he has the words of eternal life. They know that he is the Messiah. They know that he is the Son of God. There is clearly a lot that they do not know. But these are some things that they do know. And so as you pursue your God, as you grow in your knowledge and your understanding of Him, as your relationship with Him grows and matures, when you encounter things that you don't understand, it's okay. There is nothing wrong with that. Just identify that there are some things that Jesus has said, or there were things that Paul had said, or somebody else said, who spoke on behalf of God, and you just don't understand those things. And be honest about that. Be true about that. And say, God, at some point, in prayer, just speak to him and say, at some point, I would like you to explain this to me in a way that I can understand. Now, folks, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been in Christ for a long time, long enough to know what it's like not to understand some things. And then later, at a later date, the Lord gives me revelation, gives me discernment, 
helps me to understand those things. You know, in most cases, the reason why he could not explain to me the depths of some realities, of some truths, was simply because there were other things that I needed to understand first. There have been a lot of things that I could not have possibly comprehended until after I experienced personally some very serious and dramatic sufferings in my own life. And so have patience and trust your God and be thankful for whatever he does reveal to you and that you do understand. Be thankful and keep going and live with a sense of expectation that one day he will share more with you about who he is and about the reality of life. Just remember that your life is about growth and change. Who you are today will not be who you are in the future. Your God has resurrected you if you have surrendered to the gospel and to the new covenant. And the objective of God is that you may grow, change, mature, and know him more to increase your personal relationship with him. Thank you for listening. This is the 28th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, where I was completing John chapter 6. I spent a little bit more time talking about the words that Jesus chose to use in order to make a clear division between those who were pursuing a relationship with him only for the purpose of indulging their flesh, in accordance with what he would be able to give them in terms of bread and fish, versus those who would have an interest in knowing him as a person. I spent some time talking about the fact that even though a person may pursue the Lord Jesus because they have an interest in the things of the flesh that God may provide for them, eventually they will have an opportunity to decide if they want to have a true and genuine relationship with him. This should be encouraged. And also that even if a person does not understand very much about what our God has said or what he is doing now, that everyone should be patient and enjoy the journey of growing in Christ. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that can make-